Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. All right, I've got up on the screen there a, what's that? Soccer, that is right. You are some kind of soccer expert to recognize soccer from such a confusing looking drawing. Yeah. <laughs> she says, yes, I am. Oh, yeah. I don't have a gymnastics practice coaching plan. I only have a soccer practice coaching plan because I know even less about gymnastics than I do about soccer. So they definitely don't let me coach that. They do, weirdly, let me coach soccer. And so this is a practice plan. You know what practice is, right? What is soccer practice? You practice for games, that's right. And do you just play normal soccer at soccer practice? Like some, but yeah, kind of like, yeah, like it's kind of normal, it's kind of not, right? Sometimes we do weird things like this where you have to do something really specific and there's something really important about this soccer practice plan for those of you who are soccer coaches, you need to know this. In the very important soccer practice plan, there is something you have to work around. There is like somebody who's pretending to be the other team who's going to try to stop you from doing the thing that you're trying to do, right? That is really important for practice. When they taught us how to be soccer coaches, they said, this is something you always have to have. So I was like, I can't be nice at soccer practice. There's a rule. Because we always need something to be working against as we are figuring out how to practice for games, right? Because in a game, we want to be able to make really good choices, right? We want to make really good, quick soccer decisions while we're playing the game, and so we practice that. So really, the whole point of soccer practice, and Gus is like figuring out what exactly we're teaching here on this soccer practice plan. So that's fine, you, keep, you do you, man. Um, the whole point of this practice is to learn how to make choices when it's time to actually play the game. And so we need to have challenges that we work against in order to learn how to make choices. That's actually what a lot of life is like. Yes? So in gymnastics, you have to practice for the competition. Yes, it is very similar, I bet, in gymnastics. You have to practice certain things, and you're practicing what you do, but you probably also practice some extra things that help make you better at what you're going to do later, right? Yeah. So today's scripture reading is going to sound really weird unless you remember this, unless you remember that we sometimes have to be challenged, we have to do things that don't seem like they make quite as much sense, so that later on we can do the things that we really intended to do. We can make really good choices, we can do important complicated gymnastics things, and so that we can live as faithful and loving people in the world. So we're going to hear a story about Jesus facing really kind of scary-sounding challenges and temptations. And it helps for us to remember that it's kind of like practice. We have to be challenged to do things that we don't know how to do yet so that we can get better at them. Okay, so this story 
If you were paying really close attention last week, which I know you were, last week we had the story of Jesus being baptized, and God said, this is my beloved son, I am so happy with him. And then this story happens immediately after that, okay? So get ready for some like crazy narrative whiplash, because this story sounds very different from what we heard last week, but it's all part of one great big story. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. Let us pray. Testify to us, O God, by the voice of your Spirit. Put your law in our hearts, write your word in our minds, and show your will in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The scripture reading is from Matthew 4, 1 through 11, page 3 to 4 in the New Testament in your pew Bible. Please follow along as I read. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command the, his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you do not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it was written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and the, it, suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. The scripture lesson picks up, again, right after the scripture reading, and so it bears remembering just how kind of disjointed this piece of the story seems to be as we cut kind of from scene to scene. But the devil has just left Jesus, and the angels have suddenly come and waited on him. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee, he left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Ryan, can you turn me down just a little bit? So that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This too is the word of the Lord. So this image that is currently on the screen that we keep coming back to when there's nothing else to see, this is by a Latin American artist named Cerezo Barredo. 
Uh, he worked in the second half of the 20th century, and uh, he drew scenes from the Bible, but he would set those scenes from the Bible in the 20th century history of Latin America. And so his scenes would often depict the, the conflict between the campesinos and the powerful people uh, who were in charge of the government and the goings-on in the world. Well, today we have this scene of Jesus, and you can see he's out there in the wilderness with the, the stones all around him, and he is looking at this glittering city with a massive bank and a crowd that is chanting for him as king, and he's trying to hold back that image like it is an attack on him. And there is this ominous silhouette hovering over that vision of the city, and that silhouette, of course, is the devil. You heard about him in the part that Jean read for us. Now, the devil is a fascinating character that we are not going to spend all day talking about because the devil's just too darn interesting. And it, he's so interesting that I worry if we spend too much time or too little, we will miss the point of this story. So the devil is this complicated character within the Bible, but most of what we picture when we say the word the devil is from images from outside the Bible, from, uh, from some uh, non-Christian religious traditions, from some uh, sort of European folklore, and to be perfectly honest, from some long-standing ethnic slurs that um, the, the more I have learned about the places that some of that bigotry is present in our, our language and our sort of cultural imagining, uh, the, the more unsettled I, I am. But if you are like a lot of people I know in sort of our dominant American uh, white middle class culture, uh, you will not admit to believing in the devil. Uh, generally speaking, we don't. Uh, but you'll still find the devil exceedingly powerful to think with, this compelling figure that really just, anytime he comes up, he just sort of grabs onto all of our thoughts. This is what the devil does, right? Grabs onto all of our thoughts and, and takes us somewhere whether we meant to go there or not. So I'm not interested today in settling any metaphysical questions about the, the reality of an embodiment of evil. I think it's enough to say that we can recognize how powerful temptation is, whether it is embodied in this one particular cartoonish form or not. The devil is a way of recognizing the forces in the world that oppose God's will. The devil is a way of asking this question that I, I think is the root of how this troubles and unsettles us the question of whether there is anything in the world that is powerful enough to change God's love for us. Is there anything in the world that is powerful enough to change God's love for us? And the answer to that question, of course, is no. No. God's love for us is completely unstoppable and unchangeable. 
But there's a yes in there, too, because the devil, or the reality that that word points to, however we make sense of that, is clearly powerful enough to change the way that we interact with the world that God loves. The, the, the devil is clearly powerful enough to change the choices that we make about how to live, about whether we create this world and shape this world in a way that is aligned with or contrary to God's love for us. Whatever supernatural experiences you may or may not connect with this, we know that much is true. And we know that that is true all throughout the Bible as well. All throughout the Bible, it is clear in lots of varying kinds of language, it is clear that God faces genuine opposition in the world, that God faces genuine opposition from certain ways of relating to political or economic or religious power in ways that can oppress and exploit our neighbors, and the world around us. And that's what Jesus is facing here. That is the opposition that Jesus is facing here. He's been out in the wilderness. He has fasted for 40 days, which is too long to fast. And he faces this test of how he's going to live as the Son of God. That's the devil's first words. If you are the Son of God, let me tell you what you ought to do. If you are the Son of God... What are you going to choose? If you belong to God, what are you going to do with that? And so the question to Jesus is, will he exploit his status as the Son of God in order to meet his own physical needs? Will he use that special relationship that he has with God to protect himself? Will he claim the coercive power of the world in order to implement God's intention to save the world? Now, the tests that Jesus faces are pretty obvious. It is pretty obvious when the devil shows up, obviously do not do anything the devil tells you to do. That's simple and straightforward, which I think is the point. I think this is practice. I think this whole test here is practice for how Jesus is going to need to make those choices later on. Psychologists tell us that choice is what happens in the gap between a stimulus and our response. If there's not much gap between a stimulus and our response to it, we are not making much of a choice there. We're acting automatically with these reactions that either come from within sort of our psychology or come from the, the pressures of the world around us. Whatever is inside us comes out, and we rationalize that later as if it were a choice. And so advertising and politics and sports and just the ordinary pressures of social life, they all tend to, to minimize that gap, that little time gap in between what we perceive and what we do on the other side. And so we react from these trained-in reflexes, these habits, this in-group identity, the basic emotions that are within us, whatever is inside comes right out which is why Jesus spends this time fasting. 
Fasting is deliberately choosing not to satisfy your hunger or your thirst for a period of time. Sometimes it can be very specific, a a particular food or drink. Sometimes it can be um, all-encompassing and no food or drink. There are different ways to do this. Talk to your doctor as well as other things. But as Jesus is spending time fasting, what he's doing is he's spending time in that gap, the gap between the stimulus and the response, the gap between, oh, I feel hungry, and oh, I'm going to eat. He stretches that time out. Now, Jesus stretches that time out to 40 days and nights, which again, I do not recommend. But as he spends time in that gap, he is building patience He is building the capacity to make those choices. He is learning what it is he actually wants to and needs to choose in the world. When we practice fasting or prayer or silence or meditation or even just really good listening, we are spending time in that same gap, that same gap between hearing something or feeling something and acting on that hearing or feeling. Y'all are practicing that right now. We're practicing how we will choose to live. So temptation, temptation is not about chocolate. It's not about skipping work to go golfing. It is about demonstrating what kind of person we will choose to be. This test is about demonstrating what kind of person Jesus will choose to be. And I said this is practice because he's going to face all these same temptations again, only in much more subtle and complicated ways. He will again confront an empire that controls access to food in order to keep the people desperate and compliant. He will again face a choice about whether to stay up on a mountain in the presence of some ancient storied religious leaders or to come down to heal and teach in the world. He will face arrest by Roman soldiers and trial before religious power brokers, and he will choose not to call down an army of God's angels to defend himself. Jesus faces these choices again. He's practicing them today. And he chooses in each of those moments to embody a different kind of power and authority in the world. So today's story is not just a test of a human being. Today is an indication of what Jesus will choose as God in the flesh. This is an illustration of what kind of God Jesus is. Is. This is a demonstration of the gospel that Jesus embodies. And what Jesus chooses, he chooses a practice of life that doesn't just manage the external situation around himself. He chooses a practice of life that changes hearts from the inside out. He chooses a ministry that brings God into his neighbor's lives and especially into those moments of deepest need instead of keeping God and God's blessings all for himself. Jesus chooses to embrace suffering through giving of himself, through the self-offering of a life that even death itself cannot take away. He demonstrates God's power to save through weakness. And all of that 
among other things, empowers us to make choices that reflect the gospel as well, because the gospel points to a community where we take the time to discern before we rush into solutions, lest those solutions turn out to be self-serving for our own purposes. The gospel points to budgets where we give away some of what we supposedly need in order that everyone's needs might be met. The gospel points to a relationship with God where we live out the deep faith that Jesus showed. We live that faith out by being generous with our own relationships with God, where we can just rest in God's love rather than struggling to prove ourselves worthy of God or to prove that someone else is wrong and we are right about who that God is. The gospel points us to lives of witness, lives of witness that choose self-giving and building each other up instead of claiming power over each other or power over our neighbors. And in just a couple minutes, we're going to enter deeper into that reality with our time of prayer. Our prayers of the people are going to intentionally go slowly. They're going to invite us to slow down into that space where we choose differently from the patterns that we otherwise take for granted in ourselves and in the world around us. And now, a moment for mission. Today, in our moment for mission, we lift up one of our biggest mission partnerships with Cross Outreach. This is a two-part moment for mission, so stay tuned here. And in keeping with the spirit of Cross Outreach, the first part of the moment for mission starts with our clients. Cross Outreach works to prevent homelessness before it happens, which makes them unique among organizations currently working in the Des Moines metro. During 2022, Cross Outreach provided some form of financial assistance to a total of 773 households representing 1,840 individuals, an additional 629 families representing 1,274 individuals were interviewed for assistance or provided with resource navigation. Resource navigation is tremendously valuable, but there's no monetary amount that is defined for the time and the value of that form of assistance. When Cross is able to help financially, it helps to pay rent, security deposits, or utility bills, which is vital assistance to prevent evictions, secure new housing, or prevent or restore utility disconnections. Cross is frequently a family's last resort when there's no other government program or relief agency that can help in that situation. And all that work is done with compassion and with the flexibility to meet the client's needs rather than some arbitrary program requirements. On behalf of Cross Outreach's clients, thank you for your support. And now the second part of the moment for mission. The second part of the moment for mission is to recognize that Cross Outreach's executive director, Roberta Victor, will be retiring at the end of March after 31 years in that role. Roberta is preaching this morning at another church, but the Cross Board will host a retirement celebration for her right here at Covenant on March 26th. 
For thousands of clients over 31 years, Roberta has been the face of Cross Outreach's mission to prevent homelessness with compassion, and she embodies that compassion. The board cannot express enough appreciation for everything Roberta has done through the years. Roberta's retirement marks a transition for the whole organization of Cross Outreach, and the board is working to hire Roberta's replacement and reimagine the future of the organization at the same time. Stay tuned for more news as that transition continues, and in the meantime, we thank God for the work Roberta has done, for the compassion that Cross Outreach offers to our neighbors in need, and for the opportunity to participate in that mission through our gifts. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.